Hello listeners and welcome to Fighting Failure. This is the last episode of the conservation section and of season one. Today's episode will discuss human coexistence. I'm your host, Sandhya Stapleton, and these are my co-hosts, Oscar and Hisha. Hello there. Hello. So human and environment coexistence is defined as a dynamic but sustainable state in which humans and wildlife co-adapt to living in shared space landscapes where human interactions with wildlife are governed by effective institutions that ensure long-term wildlife population persistence, social legitimacy, and tolerable levels of risk. That isn't really what's happening around the world right now. Yeah, uh, it would be fair to say it's not. Not, it's not happening. Yeah, I think a dynamic but sustainable state in which humans and wildlife co-adapt to living in shared landscapes is not really what we're seeing right now with increased urbanization. Um, lots of people moving to cities. Cities are much less, well, much less habitable for wildlife. That's why you often see foxes, you know, eating out of bins and whatnot. So there's definitely some work to be done. But let's get more in depth and discuss what are the problems surrounding coexistence. So if we consider humans as a species on Earth, which they are, then they humans are also competing for resources, land and food and all the other things that every other species on Earth is competing for. We're at the top of the food chain. Humans originated as just another species in a wonderful world full of millions and billions of different species. But through excellent evolution, we've managed to become some sort of super species that has an uncanny and unnatural power over the rest of the natural world. Which is not great. So rather than competing fairly for the resources, land and food, we're controlling all of that to ensure not just food and resource security for our species, but in such a way that it ruins the competition for all the other species. Yeah, you get so you get that like kind of chain and escalation where humans are taking all the resources and destroying all the resources. So all in the animal kingdom and on Earth, you get like an increase in demand. If you if you bring like supply and demand into this, you get an increase of demand for all those resources that are being diminished and destroyed by the humans. And that just creates an escalation of the problems because there's even more competition for the what little resources remain. Exactly. Nature is all about having a balance between different factors in wide-scale ecosystems. And humans have just absolutely tipped the scale. Like, they've dug their side of the seesaw into the ground in, in this way, that just tipping everything completely off the scales in terms of how much, how many resources we're taking, how, how much we're disrupting natural ecosystems, and how much control we have over food, resources, ecosystems, and the changes that we can make to them. Yeah, and as we... As we do so, as we kind of take control and, and, and tip the scale and certain species go extinct, um, whether it's, you know, a butterfly or an apex predator, then like we've mentioned in previous episodes, uh, what happens is that you get this kind of collapse of the food web because when you remove one species, then the species which rely on that species for food or for fertilization or whatever, um, then that then the other species start to decline. So it just becomes then this whole large scale problem in the food web. Um, so whether or not you know we're having an effect on every animal, um, having an effect on even just a select group of animals will have an effect on the entirety of the food web. Exactly. And part of this problem is, I suppose, due to overpopulation. 
which is that humans have uh, the population of the human species has grown massively and that absolutely correlates with environmental destruction caused by humans so i think the current population of the earth is actually let's find out what the exact current population of the earth is is it like worldmeters.com i think let's see no it's not My phone is resting awkwardly on my computer. It's worldometers.info. Right, world population clock. Let's see. Retrieving data. 7.898817275 times 10 to the 9. In standard form, in general terms, that's 7,898,817,200. Oh my gosh, it keeps going up. Now it's 307, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. How quickly can, can you count? Um, it just keeps going up. How do, how quickly do they count like who's dying and who's being born, I guess? In some countries, there is a birth and death register. In some countries, there is a birth and death register that is not very well used. And in other countries, there is no birth and death register. register. Ultimately, I think what they would do is use real data um, from the UN or from censuses or from birth and death registers in developed countries and then draw a trend line and sort of put and then put like where we are on a quite an exact trend line for different countries and put that all together. So maybe for Malawi, they would see what's the trend line whenever there's been a UN estimate of the population and then continue drawing that trend line according to best estimates and, and use that. That's my guess, at least, about how it works, because obviously they can't just like, no, oh, no, someone's died in the middle of the Sahara Desert right now. It's more based on, I suppose, estimates, considering especially how regular, like the deaths is just ticking, 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 ticking. And the rest is tick, 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 tick. So it's... Yeah, and then you get into like birth and death rates, like the death rate of humans has gone way down. So it's gone down, which means like, and well, more other species, their death rates maybe have gone up. Well, absolutely. That's why we're seeing mass scale extinction. I think, yeah, that is part of the problem in terms of human coexistence is that humans have kind of broken the system by becoming, having such good medical care and all of this stuff and such good food security that the population is just going up and up and up and up and up. It's, it's crazy in that respect. So what, maybe 70,400 people have died today, but 168,000 have been born today. And by the time you're listening... The, number, the world population will have probably gone up a couple, more than a couple thousand by the time you listen to this episode between when we record and when we release. So, yeah, that's kind of crazy. What you get here is like a, a buildup where we are one of the most populous species on the entire planet. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily true because there are much smaller species that will have a much larger population number. If you were to measure population in terms of impact on the world, there's no question that humans would be at the top. In terms of straight up biomass, there are species like there's a certain type of fish or krill, or if you're going to go straight numbers, tiny things like bacteria, ants. There's in straight up metrics, there are other species. But if you just look at the impact that we have on our world, absolutely humans, top of the graph by far. And we're consuming so many resources that and taking control of other species that it's just like skyrocketing the the devastation that we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And is this part in part due to a mindset that humans have of like thinking that, you know, 
well, technically humans are an animal, but, you know, there's humans and there's animals and there's plants, right? Uh, and the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we really above other species? Do we really have a right to be disrupting these ecosystems and a right to do this? Do we really need these resources to fulfill our evolutionary desire to continue our genetics? So this is in part maybe a great example. This is food waste. About half of the food that is made in the world is thrown away. And in fact, the world produces in straight calories more calories of food per person than the average recommended amount. Despite this, millions of people are hungry and millions of people are obese. But if everyone ate, if all the food that was produced was distributed equitably and consumed, there would probably still be an obesity epidemic. Like that's, that's how much food is being wasted, really, is that it's just a distribution problem. And this is often an argument that's put um, against meat is that, ah, oh, but it's like creating world hunger. And while it is true that producing meat is more inefficient uh, in some ways, if you're feeding animals crops that could have been fed to humans. However, currently we're producing enough food for more than the current population, but it's not reaching all of the current population, which is honestly quite disappointing. Yeah. And yeah, so you have that like idea of supply and demand, right? Where in like developed countries, you're creating, there's a such a high demand for everything that you're creating over the over what you need, uh, more than what you need. Yeah. So what, what happens is that you get this, this fluctuation in supply in these developed countries. So in places like the US, because there's just this ridiculous like consumer demand for like everything that, that people can get their hands on the supply will fluctuate and it'll like reach this surplus where there's more than anyone could use and then the price is driven down but then there's just then that means that there's room for global supply chains to increase and so it's just this I, I feel like it's it's the way that it fluctuates is ridiculous um, and just the consumer patterns in places like the U.S. is is it's very it's very sad in fact it's very pathetic to see um how we've got to this mindset where it's like um because i can because i can buy a new iphone i'm going to buy a new iphone because i can buy a new pair of nike shoes i'm going to buy a new pair of nike shoes i mean i guess it it's it's similar to this kind of bad mindset which which oscar and sonia mentioned because we have this mindset like which is that we can because we can do it because we can get this because we have access to this, because we can um, deforest, build more homes, because we can live longer, because we can have more children, because we can build more cars, because we can go to space. We're doing all these things. But do we need to be doing all these things? And so I guess that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. And I think there is a line to be drawn between consumerism and scientific curiosity. I think I do support sort of, you know, scientific investigation and things like going to space in a small and reasonable way is defensible in terms of the amount that we can get out of it. But the, the other side of the coin is, of course, things like consumerism. Let's just buy this because I can. And I was just talking to a friend yesterday about the because I can argument. And it just maybe this is one of my pet peeves. Is it drives me crazy. It's like just because you can't. That's not an argument. And that you've got to be able to defend what you're doing much more intelligently because if everyone just did everything they could, you know, there's plenty of things that one can do and one chooses not to do. For example, okay, I don't want to make this dark, but jumping off a cliff, right? Just about anyone can do that. 
if there was a way that one could be asked after one had committed such an offence, why one committed such an offence, do you think it would be reasonable to say, because I can? I don't think so. So I think then that means that you can't use that argument to justify something else. You have to say, I'm buying a new iPhone because I've had my old phone for 10 years. It doesn't work anymore. And I'm planning to use this iPhone for the next 10 years and get the most out of it rather than I'm buying a new iPhone because it looks cool and I want to look cool in front of everyone. So if you can instead have that sort of justification that even if we have a sort of system where people are being so consumerist and bad for the environment, if everyone could intelligently defend what they're doing, that is such a better system than where people just say, because I can or because I don't care. But I mean, if you think about it, I mean, there's this concept of anarchy, which <laughs> which most people seem to be so against. But I mean, we're basically, I mean, we're basically living in an anarchy. I mean, there, okay, there's, we're not definitely, we're not 100% living in an anarchy because there are some, or at least I hope there are some regulations which are implemented, some laws. But I mean, good God, the number of things that you can do, I mean, just because you can, we're essentially living in an anarchy. I mean, you're free to do such numerous things and it's it's ridiculous to, to think about. Uh, I, I disagree. I, I do not think we live in an anarchy. And that can, that can all kind of link, the, the because you can idea can kind of link to where in the history, like if you go way back to the history of mankind, collecting resources and everything was based on survival. And now people do things because they can and because that's what they want to do. And now I, I came across something interesting when I was researching for this uh, episode, actually. I wouldn't say it's as much of a solution as it is a problem, but it's the idea of action and effect. I can't pronounce these names very well. Kahneman and Tversky. From in 1982, uh, there's, a, there's a concept that negative outcomes are regretted more when they're a result of action compared to inaction, which is not great because our inaction is just as devastating as our actions in the sense that what we do may not directly affect a, a population or a habitat, but if it indirectly affects it in any way, it's still our problem. It's still an issue that should be addressed. Yeah, and this can even come into like bullying because there might be a bully who's directly bullying someone. I mean, who knows if they feel um, bad about it, but, but there's people who just, who, who, who watch um, the person bullying, you know, um, the other person and, and don't do anything about it. And I, I suppose that they don't feel bad because they don't do anything about it. You know, you think you're not involved, you're not doing anything. So what's the harm? You're actually just as bad as the person who's bullying because you haven't taken the initiative to stand up and change what's happening. And so that's just the same as what's happening in the environment. If we disregard all of our negative impacts that come from us sitting on our bums, not doing anything. I mean, if, if I sat at home my whole life and my home was in like Antarctica and I was very fuel efficient and I had like an almost negligible carbon footprint and whatnot, and I didn't eat beef or whatever, and I'm some super environmentalist, and I know it's impossible to live in Antarctica, but think about like, I would have no footprint. I would have basically no environmental impact, but I would not be part of the solution either because there's still people doing things out there and there's still things happening and that has to be addressed. There's still, um, and so you are not 
then like a god, you're not like the best human in the world for not doing anything bad. I mean, what has to be, what has to happen is that it's not just about not doing the the wrong thing. It's about doing the right thing. I had a comparison about like indirect effects with uh, with animals, where if we are directly killing those animals, then it's like, oh, poaching is such a bad problem. Like defend against poaching, and poaching is still a really bad problem. But what about the animals that would prey on those species? Yeah, and I suppose in a way that's also a thing about veganism is that if you follow a vegan diet, then maybe you might think no animals have to die because I'm not eating any animals. But if you're, for example, eating uh, grains that come from industrialized agriculture, there could be many, many animals that have, and pests and other species that have died as a result of industrialized agriculture in general, or specifically when that land was converted to industrialized agriculture. So whether it's completely direct or slightly more abstracted, you've got to think more holistically about the whole thing. Yeah, and I find it also shocking that people um, don't kind of notice that, I mean, the, the number of people in the world who, um, I, I at least I, and I hope that there's still more and more people out there who, who do stand up for, uh, stand up against poaching, but like the number of people who know about poaching and stand up against it, it it's great. But then, I mean, then these people, you know, go ahead and eat, you know, industrial beef and industrial vegetables and and produce and then and they they they, just because there's not enough out there about the impact of such you don't realize how much you're doing like you are causing animals to go extinct whether or not you're poaching you know that's a different matter you're not directly poaching them but you are having this impact which i think oftentimes goes unnoticed and um and i think that it's very important that you that 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 people start noticing that and understanding that that you have to take into account all sides of things and everything that you do You've got to be wary of having double standards within your own philosophies. You can't say, on the one hand, I oppose poaching and the killing of animals, and on the other hand, I support industrial meat industry. Uh, you've got to, you've got to, well, or at least you should be having the same standard applied to all the parts of your life. So maybe you could say, oh, I don't eat meat, but then if you go and you know buy a leather shoes or like leather shoes or whatever. It's a bit of a double standard, and I'm not. I'm not saying that either things is right or wrong, but I'm saying that you should you should assess to see if there's any tensions within your own beliefs and principles, and if any of them conflict each other. I think maybe the last problem to talk about it, it sort of ties into mindset. I guess is this idea of humans being scared or wary of certain animals, like lions, tigers, uh, sharks, is an example. Is that it's, it's part of this mindset is that, oh my gosh, sharks are this horrible, deadly thing. When we kill far more sharks than sharks kill us. Very like, single digits of people, I think, get killed by sharks every year. Maybe, maybe double digits. But we kill, what, five digits of sharks every hour, uh, to say it very statistically. So it's, it's, it's also this mindset, man, bleh, mindset shift about what we think about animals in terms of, and, and that is what inspires many people to you know, kill or hunt them. So we've got to have the mindset that animals are just all like us trying to survive and that no animal is inherently against us. They're just trying to survive. And so, yeah, I think maybe I didn't say that very well, but it's part of the mindset shift is to understand animals and not just to be scared of them. Yes, Urban Expansion. Dun, da, da, da. We are creating a documentary. I'm super excited about it. 
Um, we've been working on it for a while, and um, it'll be um, about kind of urban expansion and human impact on surrounding environments. So we'll cover agriculture, human, ex- uh, uh, human, you know, overpopulation, urban expansion, and kind of all the topics which you've briefly touched on today. And next season of this podcast, we will have an urban expansion section. So please stay up to date with this podcast. Super excited to launch that. That'll be my section. For a bit of a preview of season two, Heatrate's going to be starting. Well, actually, I think I'm going to be starting with energy. Uh, so I've already lined up a special guest to talk about energy and electrical grids, how we make, how we produce energy, how it can be renewable, but also what are the setbacks, not just technologically in terms of generating energy, but in terms of distributing it to the world as a whole. Uh, so I'm really excited to get on with that as sort of an extension of the transportation section that we did. Then is going to be talking all about urban expansion, uh, which he's just been talking to you about. So that's really interesting as well. It's maybe an extension of human coexistence, but also um, a lot of other things all come together in that. And then we have, I think our last one will be waste. So so paper waste, ocean waste, how we deal with waste, the paradoxes of plastic recycling. Yeah, so we've got a super exciting season two coming out soon. I'm psyched to launch that with with these guys. And I think we're going to try and do a couple of improvements on the podcast before we launch it, but we don't want to wait too long. So it might be maybe an extra week before we launch season two. But I think maybe I'd like to get a theme song going, maybe a slight redesign of the podcast artwork. Uh, we've already got sort of at the end of season one, a new show notes format coming out. Just a few incremental improvements to make it more exciting, more interesting, so that we can get some of this stuff out. And that's probably when we'll be publicizing the podcast to a wider audience as well through news outlets, hopefully. So really exciting stuff coming up. Pretty please, pretty please donate on our Patreon, which you can find on our website, fightingfailure.earth. That is fightingfailure.earth. Yes, .earth is a domain name. Like you, it, it does exist. On our Patreon, we're going to have like, uh, we're going to try to release some special episodes. Just to give you a, an example of some of the stuff we're planning, is Kawasid the vegan problem? A debate about zoos. Those are just some of the idea. I mean, last time we were just discussing what Patreon episodes we should do, and Sunday and Hisho already started like raging about their opinions on zoos. So uh, I'm not going to be in that one. I might judge it though, so I might be in that one actually. But also, um, while we're here, because because he sh- uh, Oscar, you just mentioned your energy section before. I- I'm sorry, I got this in a, in a little late, but um, you also we also have an episode planned about ammonia cars. Yeah, a listener sent us an awesome email with some greater research that I hadn't come across when I was researching hydrogen. About ammonia cars. So we're going to be discussing that car. That's that's really interesting. Now let's move on to solutions. Can't forget the solutions. You can't forget them, because we have to be positive here, right? Cations are positive. <laughs> okay. You know, like, positive? Yep. Because it's about animal and human coexistence? That makes sense, and I just had a summative on that for chemistry. Thank you very much for bringing that back to me. Or maybe it's positive. <laughs> okay. All right. Number one, and, like, biggest obvious one there, change in mindset. Please change your mindset, guys. We are all species on the same planet. Growth mindset, yeah. That's a school thing as well. Coexistence mindset. We are all species on the same planet, guys. We are sharing this planet. Unless you're a Martian. Unless you're a Martian. Okay. Um, we're, all, we're, we're all sharing this planet, so the resources belong to everyone. All the species. Um, also, 
when you're when you're when you're like out shopping or whatever, think like before you buy something, think like, do you really need that? Are you good with what you have? Like, think about its effects. Yeah, I, yeah. It's not necessarily reasonable to completely oppose buying anything, but if you could just think before you buy something. If I was there, what would would you be able to justify the purchase in in a sentence or two? Just to say like, you know, it's a new pen. Like, my pen has run out, and I need a new pen. Obviously, that's a bad example because you can generally get refills for pens,、um, which I try to do with my erasable pens is to get refills. But then the refills came in individually wrapped plastic packaging, despite the fact that the website showed them in packs of three. All and it was so annoying when it's like nine individually wrapped unrecyclable things is almost as wasteful as buying a new pen. Anyway, I digress. Probably more wasteful, but let's not get into that. But um. So yeah, so I again, yeah. Um, just to reemphasize that point, um, do you really need that? So think about every time you want to buy something. Um, think about what's the impact of me buying this product. Don't just think, I can buy this. I want a burger. I'm gonna buy this meat because this is the meat that's in front of me. Or I'm gonna buy this tofu or this soy milk because that's the soy milk that's available. You have to think about、uh, where is this coming from.、Uh, how are they? Farming it and and such and um and it's also something I did um last week for biology was GMOs and so also if you're buying produce please check um to find out whether or not it's GMO whether or not it's organic because usually these products will have giveaways uh if you're buying a pair of shoes a lot of companies now will have some green initiative so maybe buy shoes from somewhere which is At least publicly making it look like they're trying to do something, rather than from a company who's just one hundred percent sweatshops in China. I was getting some stuff from Decathlon in France. I was getting a new hiking pack,、um, and a lot of the products there had a little tag saying "more sustainable materials" or "produced with less water" or "made from recycled materials." So I got some hiking shirts that are made with recycled plastic, for example, and that that's really cool. And you can get like nowadays, nowadays you can get、um, sustainable denim. So I know. A lot of people, especially if you're an American, love jeans, jean jackets,、um, and denim is actually super detrimental. <laughs> denim is super detrimental to the environment. So if you if you like your jeans, please try and find yeah. If you if you like your jeans, please try and find、um, please try and find a place which sells sustainably produced jeans. So it's just all about thinking about the impact which you buying that product will have. Like think about if you're shopping on Amazon, it says this is gonna be shipped from China. Then maybe don't buy it because、uh, you, I mean, unless you really need it, do you, do you need to buy something which is gonna be shipped halfway across the world from China, or could you buy something in a local shop? So you know, hashtag keep things local,、uh, which was in our agriculture section and will be in the urban expansion section, and and it's just important to always think about what you're buying. And your impact on global supply chains and and all that. It's difficult to find stuff that's not shipped from China, though. Generally, it'll just be bulk shipped from China and then sold locally for most manufactured goods. But it's always worth trying to find something more local or more sustainable, or just buying stuff less often. And that always like leads back to like the idea of the 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 scale, the balance being tipped. And so we're trying to level the scale here. Like sharing is caring, guys. Keep back to kindergarten. Like we need to distribute. Uh, resources equitably. We need to keep in mind what is going on 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, especially I would just say um, sharing, sharing is caring. Um, we're sharing this world, but humans have these, this, we have, we have money, um, which other animals don't have. And so I know an, an animal can't do anything with money, but what if, what if you got, you know, a hundred, a hundred dollars for, for whatever reason for your birthday or something. And then maybe you invest, maybe you donate $10. I mean, even $10 can make a difference. So maybe you go to WWF, which is one of my favorite organizations, the World Wildlife Fund, or maybe um, the Kiss the Ground Fund. I mean, wh wherever you go, um, there's there's always places which will be looking to utilize your money in a sustainable way to expand in sustainable ways to protect animals, to protect natural habitats, and to sustain our ecosystems. And so donate, sharing is caring. Share, share your money. Um, I mean, if you can, I mean, definitely it's something to look into. Or share it with Fighting Failure. Patreon.fightingfailure.earth. Yeah, <laughs> patreon.fightingfailure.earth. And we'll make a documentary for you. The the, the Patreon, uh, the funds are going towards a, the documentary that Hisha talked about earlier. Just just to be aware, we're, we're, we're not taking this for profit. My bio teacher also... My bio teacher also asked me about why we have merchandise and why we have Patreon and I, because she thought it was just us trying to get money. And I, was I think it's worth clarifying what happens with money from our merchandise sales. 50% of the money will be going to the World Wildlife Fund as a charitable donation and the rest will go towards making the podcast better. None of it goes straight into our pockets for our own personal use, but we will use it for things like microphones, advertising, illustrations and other business expenses, as well as going towards the production of our documentary. So if we go back to the solutions, we have one last point, which is something I found really interesting, um, which is the idea of a hive mind of change. So over the past few years, everyone knows about COVID. Uh, everyone's been like trying to stay at home. And I think last year, there was a huge thing about how in India, especially specifically New Delhi, where I live, there were a lot fewer cars on the road. Like, like it, it dropped, just dropped so low that the pollution levels dropped as well and it, it, it had an actual effect so if you look up like um india pollution COVID or something you get like comparison videos a uh, comparison images of the difference that it made when there was cars on the road versus less cars and that idea of when everyone is doing something when there's a sudden push for change and everyone is is pitching in it has like really strong results yeah and i mean with COVID, we didn't have a choice with COVID, we didn't have a choice, but but you always have a choice. You always have a choice, so... Yeah, this is why we need government initiatives. Yeah, yeah, exactly, government initiatives. Trying to, trying to tackle something from the demand side is difficult. So to, to build on that, Sandhya, um, I, I wouldn't even just say that it's in New Delhi. I, I mean, I've seen pictures of, like, of deer, like, uh, of deer wandering through... Um, New York and Boston, um, some, you know, huge cities in the U.S. And I've seen, you know, in in Vermont, which is already a very environmentally um, sustain, sustainable state, um, there were black bears just, there were tons of black bear sightings, just this rebound. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it was everywhere. It was global. And it, and it can't be denied. I mean, even in New York, away from like land, uh, the, the water, the bay um, off New York City was so much cleaner that even whales were passing through um, and were spotted in the in the bay just off New York City, which is crazy because, I mean, it's gross. It's, it's hugely populated. 
Um, and so, um, you know, because of boats and, and just uh, fuel pollution, um, the water's not all that clean. But because of COVID, there was just this rebound. And even in the oceans, you could notice that. So it's just this worldwide phenomenal impact, which COVID had. I mean, think about all the bad, but then, I mean, look at the other side of the coin and it's just this, it's it's phenomenal and it's great. And I think if we, if we learn from this, although we didn't have a choice in COVID, if we all just take away um, the impact that we've had in the way that, the, that we've been acting and the way that we've been leading our lives and the way that we've been interacting with the environment, I think that we could have a much brighter future ahead of us. Yeah. And you get that, that thing where uh, I think I saw, I read somewhere that like companies now after COVID where there was no travel and companies who would usually send like people for business meeting, like across the world, they have like realized, oh, actually it's much easier and much more cost efficient to do a Zoom meet, business meeting. And you have that decrease in travel then. And when everyone is... As, as we have, if we have a, as a species all work together to direct ourselves onto the right track, like Keisha said, there's a really bright future ahead of us. And with that, thank you and goodbye. Yeah, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thank you guys. Bye.